great moments are born from great opportunity. Last name ever, first name greatest. Like a sprained ankle, boy, ain't nothing to play with. Again. But before you can ever reach anything, you have to believe it. You don't just mistakenly become great at something. Now go out there and take it. You're listening to the Watling and Owens Show on WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. That's right. It is the greatest show, the Watling and Owens Show here on a, what's usually a football Thursday. We still have some football, of course, with the Jets in action this weekend against the Chargers, as well as our picks, but a lot going on outside of that. And the New York sports landscape has been uh, interesting to watch this week. It kind of started off with the... James Harden potential trade to the Nets. We've had some Steve Cohen content going in as well uh, with the New York Mets. We obviously had the NBA draft last night, which we'll get into a little bit later. And with the Giants and Bills on by, we have some time to talk about things other than football. And one headline, obviously, that we definitely have to start with here and, and something that was unexpected, but expected to a certain point for the New York Mets. They have... Robinson Cano uh, test positive once again for PEDs. And due to this being his uh, second violation, he'll be missing an entire season next year. He'll miss the entire 2021 season for the Mets. Uh, he tested positive for Stanazolo. Stanazolo, this is a, it's a tough word. It's got the LOL at the end. It's, it's, it's a, I thought it was a joke at first, to be honest. The yeah, it's the, it. where, how is it? Stanazolo Mets, am I right? Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. But, uh, but we Robinson, can't do that anymore. No more lol Mets. No more lol Mets because now Mets fans have completely transformed from, from being miserable to being miserable for people to deal with. So that, that's been an interesting thing to watch. But, I mean, this is – it's kind of disappointing for me. I mean, Robinson Cano is a guy that, I mean, I loved growing up as a Yankees fan. And, you know, the Yankees don't end up re-signing him. He goes to Seattle, gets makes his way over to the Mets. I don't have an – I mean, I don't have the biggest issue with PEDs when it comes to baseball, but the issue here is just it's a lack of your, uh, of responsibility for Robinson Cano. I mean, you already got busted once. How do you test positive for PEDs in the offseason? Like, that to me is just kind of embarrassing. All right, you want, you want some, uh, some biology lesson here? Yes, please. So at first, I saw the half-life for it is 24 hours. Right. So I, I kind of was like, okay, like that means like half it's going to be left in your body after 24 hours. But then I was like, wait, how many, how, many, how many traces of it, how many percents of it do you need to get tested? You can t- detect the low levels of Stenozolo up to three to four days after uh, taking a single dose. So that means he took it three to four days ago or three to four days before the test. And, you know, if you want to uh, inside baseball here for a moment, they weren't testing for PEDs pretty much this entire season. They were really focused on making sure no one gets COVID. So the fact that you somehow test positive for it is, is almost embarrassing. Like, 
for for a guy, and, and you feel bad because you know Cano is, is I don't say a good guy. You, you, you don't I'm really saying, I don't know if we know that anymore. Well, he's a guy that was just trying to, you know, he obviously did the wrong thing, but he's trying to make, to be good for his team. He's trying to be a, a valuable player, an asset to this team. There's a lot of a lot of pressure on him because of the trade that he was dealt to. And now he takes the, the Stanisola and is, he might never play baseball again. He might never play for the Mets again after this at 38 years old. Yeah, and obviously it remains to be seen because he still has two years left on his contract. You know, it doesn't just go void because of the positive test like we see in some sports like the NFL. But that makes a little bit more sense why we saw the batting average jump from 256 to 316. Obviously a, a shorter sample size, but I love that biology lesson, Matt. I really, I really love that. Uh, it, it helped me understand it more because I was wondering, you know, was it something that happened before or was it at the end of the season? And it's crazy that because it, it's obviously we know what this year has been like. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, man, Robbie Cano got coronavirus. But it was actually he tested positive for something else. Like, it is still possible to test positive for things other than COVID-19. But one thing we have to talk about is the way the reaction to this, because you have people in, in the Mets nation being like, well, now there's $24 million that uh, the Mets have to spend in free agency. Well, that's for this year. Like, Robinson Cano is still in the books for the next two years. And I get it. Like, this could help for this year. But, like, beyond that, like, it's not – I don't think it's really a net positive for the Mets because it still is kind of uh, – you know, it's kind of a, a stain on that original trade with the Mariners. But, but I mean, all the pieces from that trade are gone. You know, no more Wilpons. No more Brody Van Wagenen. And I, I hate the idea that, oh, like, like 95% of Twitter, and this was Mets and non-Mets fans included, well, actually, this deal. Yeah. Well, actually, this is a good thing. It's not all Mets. <laughs> well, actually, they have $24 million to spend. Like, no, like, we know. You don't have to, well, actually, a point that's pretty well taken. Everyone knows Cano is overpaid at $24 million. Everyone knows that when you test positive for a full year, you're not getting the money. Like, you don't need to, well, actually, and also, saying you can spend this $24 million because he's not on the roster is, is Wilpon stuff. It's Wilpon clown show material. Because Steve Cohen wasn't scrapped, you know, wasn't searching for pennies in his wallet, in his car, so, to pay Robinson Cano. He wasn't. The only thing this does is it opens up a spot for Jeff McNeil to play the infield, something that you desperately want because he's not a great left fielder. It allows you to move a guy like Brandon Nimmo from center to left where he's more comfortable, and now you can bring an outfielder, something you probably want to do anyway. You probably were going to bring in a George Springer type or a Jackie Bradley Jr. type. This does not really make that a requirement. That does not make you do this for sure, because you were probably already going to do it. This just gives you more flexibility on your entire team. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the, the ultimate spin zone if the Mets land a George Springer or a Jackie Bradley Jr. It's going to be like, well, we had that extra money from the Cano deal. It's like, no, that, that was going to be a, a, a target no matter what. I mean, Cano is not getting any younger in, in general. And that's kind of what steroids, I think that's the underrated part of steroids is that, yes, they make you stronger and you can get bigger and stuff like that. You can hit home runs. But the biggest positive for a lot of guys with steroids is it increases their career. I mean, Barry Bonds was, you know, pumping home runs out at 40 years old. Like, that's something you don't see. That's the biggest thing with steroids is that it prolongs your career. So that's probably the the route that Robinson Cano is trying to go, and obviously uh, he gets caught for it. But 
Yeah, I mean, this could open up some areas. I think I like that Jeff McNeil gets to go back to second base where he's more comfortable. And I like that uh, you have a little bit extra money, but, I mean, it's not going to lead to – I think one of the parallels being made by, by people on Twitter was this means the Mets are going to get DJ LeMahieu. Like, I don't see that being a thing because, yes, DJ can play second, third, and first, but right now it's not going to be – uh, the move because he's going to make 20 plus million for multiple years. It's not going to be a one year, $24 million deal that I think people are trying to project like this is going to work out. So I think that's the thing for me is yes, it, it allows you to move some pieces, but those pieces might've been moved no matter what, because Cano's getting older and stuff like that. So again, not a net positive. This isn't the greatest so you, you thing. Think this in, is a in bad history. Thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think, I just hate that it's being spun into the Mets have all this money to spend now. I mean, it is, but also Cano is a cork in a, in a young champagne bottle. Well, I guess an old champagne bottle because, you know, young champagne isn't the most valuable. But I just – I don't see the, the value that can bring. You know, what's he going to be? And my first reaction was similar to Luke where I'm like, okay, like, now, oh, no, they've got to replace a guy that hit three whatever. What if this coming season, with or without service, he might have been hitting 250? And have you as a manager say, okay, I'm going to bench a guy making $24 million. And, and I hate that narrative. I think that if you're a bad baseball player or a bad player, it shouldn't matter how much you make. You should be able to get benched. And maybe under Steve Cohen, the Mets can do that. But under the Wilpons, they weren't allowed to do that. You know, under most ownership groups, you have to play the biggest paid players. You can't just send them to the minors or bench them because it's, disrespectful it's a it's a stain on the organization all that nonsense but you know i just i see him as a stopgap or, or a gap or a plug for a team that has such a good capability and a good chance to make the playoffs and then some what's he gonna add that much value that a replacement player can't bring i think the the reason why i like i think this is just a kind of instinct or a microcosm of what people see the cano trade as which you know, if you don't have, if you don't make that trade, you have Jared Kalena coming up to start in center field, who is going to be starting for the Mariners next year. You don't have Edwin Diaz, who has been up and down for you. Had a good year last year. I still think there's going to be potential there. And that was the Edwin Diaz trade. It wasn't a Robinson Cano trade. They wanted to get Edwin Diaz. They wanted that bullpen piece. I think that's the the thing that's kind of overshadowing it for me. But again, that's not on Steve Cohen. That's not on the current regime that's in there right now. So, I mean... The biggest thing is going to be how do they handle Cano's contract on the stretch because you're going to have to pay him the, the $24 million for the remaining years on his contract. You don't have to pay him this year, obviously, but that will kind of come up down the stretch is, is more the thing that I think people are kind of forgetting here. It's just it's such a bad trade looking back, and it's, you know, there's no fault anymore. There's no one to blame except for Brody Van Wagenen. And I guess the, the Wilpons maybe if you want to. And you really shouldn't because they're owners. They're not guys making the moves, but I mean, Jared Kalenic is going to be a superstar. You know, Edwin Diaz hasn't been what you wanted to. And I remember looking at that trade, Luke, and we both were not that opposed to it. And no. I think maybe the entire kind of, maybe the, not the media landscape, but a lot of talk shows in New York were like, okay, this isn't that bad. Like this can work. And it just, it's completely flopped. You know, it's just been so rough for Diaz. Even if Diaz was an all-star closer, this is still a flop of a trade in my opinion. See, I don't know about that because I think that the bullpen was a need that the Mets that the Mets had. I think that's why they were so aggressive in going after Edwin Diaz. 
Like, if he was playing like he was with the Mariners, like, I don't think people would complain. Like, he had 57 saves the year before the Mets traded for him. Like, you weren't expecting him to go down in production when he was only 24 years old. Like, he's still a young guy. He's still only 26. There still could be something left in the tank. And, yeah, it is unfortunate. But I think the Mets knew when they made that trade, we might be giving up a potential superstar because we think that Edwin Diaz helps us win now. It's just that win now period didn't really end up working out for them. So I think if I look like, obviously, revisionist history, that wasn't a great deal. But like you said, when the trade happened, I really, like, I loved Kalanick when the trade was made. I mean, he's been one name that's been up there with with the prospect uh, kind of circle for a while. But I still saw it as it could be a positive for the Mets because Diaz had been so dominant in that closer role. I just, I feel like the opportunity cost is, is so rough to look at. If we just pull things up, he was traded in the offseason of 2018. And the other options that were out there for you, I'm not saying you could have gotten them, but these are the guys that were free agents. Zach Benton, Jerry Smith, who we already brought back, who is not going to be your closer, Daniel Hudson, Joe Kelly, Craig Kimbrell, Mark Melanson could have opted out, Adam Adovino you could have gotten. I mean, there are some pieces that you could have brought in. And I'm not saying that these guys are close to what Edwin Diaz was projected to be, but would you rather have, you know, Edwin Diaz, a logjam at second base with Cano, and no no Kalenic, or would you rather have pushed for a guy like Zach Britton, Adovino, and kept Kalenic? And, and maybe your decision is saying, okay, Adiv- you know, Adovino can't touch 50 saves like Edwin Diaz did. And I'm not saying that you're expecting or, or predicting the future of Edwin Diaz's collapse. But the wonder is, is this trade made if you have an ownership group that is willing to pursue and spend in free agency as opposed to bringing in a controllable asset like Diaz, despite now having to take on a $20 million contract? Right. I think you have a good point. Just the issue is that wasn't what the Mets were when the trade happened. Like, that they obviously weren't going to go out and sign those free agents. Like, they were going to make a trade. They were going to move someone within their own club. And, I mean, really, Diaz, he had a really bad 2019. Everyone knows that. But he was he was really good last year. I mean, he only pitched for 25 innings, but he pitched through a 175 ERA. He kind of got moved out of that closer role, which might be an issue. But 50 strikeouts in 25 innings is, is pretty darn good. So I can still see there being – a good future for Edwin Diaz. It's just going to be unfortunate when you look over to Seattle and see Kalanick butt into a superstar. But again, it's the Mariners. You know, it's not like they're going to be in contention. They're not going to be directly opposing you. So that's kind of one uh, blessing in disguise there as you send them to a pretty, you know, the Seattle will be good within a few years, hopefully. But I mean, it's not like you trade him away to the Marlins where he's going to be kind of in your face for 20 games a year. Right. And, and I think one thing going back to the, trade the suspension itself is I just don't see Robinson Cano playing for the Mets again. If you want to read, if I'll read through Sandy Allison's statement on Cano on the suspension rather. And he said, we were extremely disappointed to be informed about Robinson's suspension for violating the MLB's joint drug prevention and treatment program. The violation is very unfortunate for him, the organization, our fans and the sport. The Mets fully support the MLB's efforts towards eliminating performance enhancing substances from the game. And I just, you know, that doesn't really tell us a whole lot, but it just doesn't seem like the Mets are going to deal with this because you're going to be 39 years old now, as Robinson Cano would be, a year off of MLB baseball, of pro baseball. Where What's he going to be next year in 2022? It just it doesn't look good for Cano in New York, not because of the suspension, but also or partially because of that, but more, more because of the impact of it, missing a full season, coming back at 39. 
you know, Jimenez and all their guys, J.D. Davis and Jeff McNeil, they can all play their natural positions now. And I think that's what's just so intriguing and so important for this Mets team when you've got those young, not stars, but young, really nice quality pieces that could win you a championship if put in the right situation. But are you going to cut Cano and give him 48, like just lose $48 million? Like, I don't well, see that happening. buyout wouldn't be a full 48. I but really I mean, I mean, it'd be a lot. He's still set to make $24 million for the next two seasons after this. Like, so I don't, the thing is, no one's going to pick him up. So yeah, you just have to, I guess, accept, you have to eat that loss, which maybe they foresaw coming into this because, I mean, he signed a 10-year deal at the age of 31. So it's not like he was going to be, productive to the point of 24 million dollars down the stretch but i mean it's gonna they're not just gonna they're not gonna be able to dump them anywhere like no one's taking that contract you know it's not the nba where a team will take a 24 million dollar contract of a veteran just to kind of pay it and get some draft capital you teams don't do that in baseball like you eat out the end of those uh you just have to eat the end of those contracts and kind of suck it up so it's interesting because I don't think he really has a spot on this team coming into the, the year after. I just don't know what they're going to do with him. I mean, the question is, do you... I mean, the Yankees have bought out A-Rod before. Now you've got Steve Cohen who could be more willing to buy players out. That, to me, is the real concern, or real question, rather, is, is Steve Cohen going to be able to outspend mistakes of the organization? And all signs point, point to me he can do it, but as of right now, there is no reason to cut Robinson Cano. You get no benefit of doing it now, you might as well let him sit at home for, you know, not collect a paycheck for a full season and reassess when you get there. Because this season, maybe it turns out that Jeff McNeil isn't an everyday second baseman. Maybe J.D. Davis can't play third base every single day. You know, maybe Jimenez and Rosario aren't the platoon at shortstop that you want. And this is a good year to reassess what you could be moving forward without Cano, who by no means is going to be a great player, but he can be serviceable. You know, I would think he can hit 250. He's not worth his contract at that point, but that's not a horrible player that you have there. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Welcome back to the Watling and Owens show. And as we mentioned, most of the New York area teams not going this week, but the New York Jets will be playing a, a game against the Los Angeles Chargers still feels kind of weird to say Los Angeles Chargers and what an interesting matchup because you have this Chargers team that is two and seven but they've played every single game within one possession which is just really unheard of uh for for the NFL these days and maybe not for the Chargers because they've kind of had this history and then obviously you have the the 0-9 New York Jets who have played basically every single game uh besides the the eight-point loss to the Bills and the three-point loss to the Patriots last week to a more-than-one-possession loss. So something's got to give in this game. But before we jump into the game, we have to talk about the the quarterback situation. It will be Joe Flacco starting, Sam Donald still out with with the uh, shoulder injury. And Adam Gase was asked about the possibility of shutting down Sam Donald for the year. And he said, I don't know if that'd go over very well. He wants to play. This is an interesting scenario because the way that Adam Gase has handled injuries this year has been very passive. I mean, he let Le'Veon Bell play. He let Makai Becton play. Uh, Sam Donald, he kind of let play. But again, that was an injury that it seemed like Donald would be good to go. Obviously, he ends up getting not more hurt because it's a little bit of a different thing. But for Sam Donald and his future, of course he wants to play. I mean, this is his last chance to prove it. 
to be the the franchise quarterback of the New York Jets, which is his goal. I mean, obviously he wants to be able to play his career with the team that drafted him. But on the other side, it's like, yeah, it's like it's so messy because does Adam Gase want to shut him down? Because if he shuts him down, it's kind of a, a kick to Sam Darnold. And obviously it's his job as the coach to evaluate if Sam Darnold's healthy enough to play. But it really feels, Matt, like we might have seen Sam Darnold play his last game in a Jets uniform. I, I just – I don't know the severity of it. I don't think anyone knows the severity of the injury. And I feel like we've seen this before. I want to say in baseball, maybe with the Yankees or Mets, where a guy injures his shoulder. And I'm like, okay, like it'll be a couple weeks, he'll be back. And then that's just not the case. And they're out forever. Or not literally forever, but for the rest of the season. And I I don't know how you shut him down unless the projected recovery is going to take three months. Because this is a kid who, even if he's not your quarterback next year, you want him to do well. As a person, Adam Gase wants Sam Darnold to excel. Joe Douglas wants him to do well because he's a nice guy. He's a good trooper for this team that has taken a lot of blame and put a lot of blame on himself when the team itself has been brutal with him. You know, it's not his fault that this team is this bad. And to shut him down, that would be not a slap in the face, but that'd be very serious because he might not never get it. He might never get another job in the NFL again if you do that. He might never get He might be the next James Winston who sits there on as a backup for the rest of his career because I think that's what James Winston's projected to do because I, I don't think he's very good. But you'll see. So you'll see. In this, all right. How many interceptions did he throw this weekend? Over under two. Under, under I'm two. Gonna, I'll take the over. You forget. People forget he got LASIK eye surgery. I'm just saying. People forget he can see now. He, he can't throw. <laughs> He's a but, better passer than Drew Brees. We'll find out on Sunday. Okay. Well, I can throw a better ball than Drew Brees at this point. In his <laughs> Mo- moving back to Sam, though. You just feel so bad for him, and there, there's nothing you can do about it. It's tough, and the thing that to me that hurts the most for Sam is he never got to play with a with a really fully healthy, fully developed offensive line. He never got to play with a healthy wide receiver core. Never got to play more than I think a game maybe with Denzel Mims, and that's the saddest thing because all the pieces that he brought in, Sam Darnold, he never got to use, and he never got to show what he could be under a some with a somewhat competent receiving core. Yeah, and that's the biggest kind of. As you said, almost it, it almost makes you it almost makes you sad or at least disappointed because when you look at the injury report this week for the Jets, Sam Darnold's the only big offensive key uh, piece that's not playing. Like the offensive line's ready to go, the receiving core is ready, and you expect that after the bye week. So big losses on defense in the secondary, and also no Quinton Williams. But for the offense, so he, I mean, he's projected to play last I saw, or is Quinn expected it? to. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I, I saw the the tweet from. Uh, Rich Stamini that said, oh, yeah, anticipated return of Quinn Williams. Okay, there we go. So Donald's really the only big name out for, for the Jets this week, which is unfortunate because they're playing a Chargers team that has struggled this year. They haven't been able to, to rack up wins. He could have done a good job with that wide receiver core. And now there's not even going to be that chance for redemption. Like we thought if he plays against New England, if he plays these games on the stretch and plays well, maybe the Jets think about replacing Adam Gase, keeping Sam Donald and seeing if he can give this thing one more shot. But now it just feels like it's over for Sam Darnold in New York. Like, it feels like they're not going to give him another chance. And it feels like it's in, inevitable at this point that they're going to have that number one pick and take Trevor Lawrence. So it, it's kind of a sad ending. And, and Darnold's a guy that I've been hard on for, you know, for a little while here. I, I've never thought it was completely his fault. But at the end of the day, 
a lot of the blame in the NFL comes down to the quarterback position. You know, whether you like it or not, people aren't looking at a team's situation and saying, you know, a lot of people aren't going to look at them and say, oh, well, the offensive line hasn't been great, but still Sam Darnold should be better. Like, that's just how people evaluate the NFL is a lot of it comes down to head coaching and the quarterback play. And Sam Darnold got absolutely screwed when it came to the coaching position because Adam Gase has done a terrible job at trying to even develop him at all. So, like you said, a lot of it's not Donald's fault, but he's going to take the fall for a lot of it just because of the way the NFL is. Yeah, and it's just it's weird to, to see that. And it'd really be interesting to see what the, the Jets could have done or project when he could come back. And I sit here and I kind of bring up the schedule, and he, you want him to get at least three games, I would say. That would give him about, what, a month? But those three games are against the Rams, Browns, and Patriots. So, you know, maybe that's a good kind of mix of, of teams to go up against if you're Sam Donald. But, I mean, how nice it would have been for him to go up against the Patriots, go up against the Chargers. Excuse me. You know, the Dolphins' defense is, is strong. They're a good team. But, a, a, you know, a divisional foe, that's another game where you really want to see him play and see what he could do. And that's just the toughest part. And, and one quick note, Luke, on Makai Becton, who was out last game or was taken out last game. Yeah, I was going to say he was that, coming yeah. off a cold and his chest was congested because of that. Couldn't really breathe. He went to use a humidifier to clear his chest and now he's back and ready to go. Yeah, so that's that's good news. I mean, with the, with the temperature changing, man, you know, the, yeah. the weather outside is is weathering. <laughs> but the fire is so delightful. <laughs> it's good for the Jets to get Makai Beckton back, though. Uh, Especially because that was kind of a weird injury. It was kind of a, a scary one. And I look at the landscape of the Jets for this weekend as we kind of pivot a little bit off of Sam Darnold. We get to see Makai Becton. We get to see Denzel Mims. We get to see Bryce Hall at corner after uh, Dazier was cut in the secondary. Why is LaMichael Pirine not getting carries? Like, that's the thing I don't understand. And Adam Gase has come out and said, well... You know, Frank uh, Gore is playing pretty well this year, so it's kind of hard to find touches for, for Pirine. They're both averaging 3.6 yards per carry. It's not like Frank Gore is having this all-star Pro Bowl season where he's going for 100 yards and three touchdowns every game. Like, he's averaging 3.6 yards per carry, 108 uh, rushes for him. Pirine, 3.6 yards per carry, 47 rushes. Like, it's not even close when it comes to the touches this year, and I understand that. Gore's played one more game than Piran. But at the end of the day, when you have all these rookies playing and this is already a season where you're 0-9, why are you not seeing what you have out of your rookie running back? Like, I, it's not clicking for me why this is happening. No, it makes no sense. And for Gore, like you said, Luke, he's averaging 43 yards per game. That's not very good. That's really not a, a great number. If it was 60 or 70, then go for it. But there is no reason. He's not going to be on the team next year. And if he is, that's a problem. Yeah. Because that means you didn't add an actual competent running back that's under the age of 45. That's what you need. And maybe Pirine's not a lead back in this league. But when you're playing random guys or Braxton Berrios and, and random rookies that are not that great, I mean, Ashton Davis is your starting safety, and he's not very good. He's fine. He's projected to be good. But right now, he's not a starting safety. What's the worst that happens if you give Pirine another five touches over Gore? Is Gore yeah. going to cry and quit? Is, is that what's <laughs> going to happen? No. By all means, Gore is a very good soldier for this team. He's a very good influence on the running game and younger players. Look what he did in Buffalo. Was he the lead back by 10 carries every single game? No. no. <laughs> he was He's... a nice piece. 
that helped the team. He was supposed to be in the same role this year as he was last year in Buffalo, where he's the veteran guy. They bring in a rookie for the Bills. There's Devin Singletary for the Jets. It's Piran that they like, that they got in a later round, but they like. And he's supposed to be that mentor. And even if they split carries, that's one thing. But for Gore to out-carry him by that much, I think it's just ridiculous. And I'm not saying that P. Ryan is this star in the making and all that because we don't know what he is because we haven't seen him play. Like, why are we not seeing him play? We've seen, you know, things out of Denzel Mims that we really liked. I mean, what's not to like about him so far? Makai Becton's been an absolute beast. Like, we've seen the kind of the, the, the framework. And as you mentioned, Ashton Davis, a younger guy, getting some, uh, some chances. He hasn't been great at safety, but he's getting chances. He's getting the opportunity to play. I, it doesn't make sense from a from a coaching standpoint why Piran's not getting those same opportunities. And I mean, to be fair, Piran's gotten he's gotten closer these last couple of games since Bell's left, I would say, and Piran had the injury. But also, right now, it should be Piran plus five touches more than Gore at least every single game. Yeah, it shouldn't be him trying to catch up to Gore at the end of the game. That's just not what it should look like. It it really shouldn't, and that's the toughest thing for this team that you're not seeing what Piran really is, you know? And by no means is the offensive line great, but it's it's something, you know? It's there. It's not Giants week one through three level bad. I would say yeah. it's a top 15 offensive line. It's, it's yeah, it's honestly, I, I completely agree. And, and looking at uh, pro football focus, they have every single Jets offensive lineman in the green. So there's kind of different levels of green. There's the... The, the the darkest green, there's the, the lighter greens. They're kind of in the lighter green area, but they're all playing pretty well. I mean, this is a good what, offense. What kind line. of Pantone is it? It's a, uh, oh man, it's like a, it's almost like a relish type of green, if you will. It's kind of a, a relish looking green, if if that tickles your your fancy. The, the darkest green is the Jets green. Like that's that's the green you want to be in. The Jets are, you know, the offensive line is about two touches under that. So you know, is, is the lightest green like an iceberg lettuce type of green? Yeah, it's an iceberg lettuce, and they don't even have any iceberg lettuce on the on the offensive line. They're more like a relish color. So it's a, it's a very, on that very good looking. Yeah, it's a very good looking offensive line from that, except for the center position. McGovern's in the orange, which is which is uh, around a little bit under uh, below average. But it's like you said, it's a solid offensive line, and I want to transition to the game quickly before we head into break in our picks. What a weird quarterback matchup we have here between Joe well, Flacco. I about this quarterback matchup. Oh, yeah. Hit me with it. Justin Herbert will never win a game in the NFL again. I agree. You can't cut your hair like that. No. You can, and he lied. He completely lied. The truth was it's his first haircut since 2018. I think that's the, 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 the year he said. He had his strength and conditioning coach, John Lott, do it, Oof. which is your first problem. Strength and conditioning coaches, they're not the most graceful or elegant. Yeah, probably not. I don't think I would let any I wouldn't think I don't think I'd let a strength and conditioning coach near me with scissors, let alone near my head. Yeah. No, thank you. I mean, this is a military buzz cut haircut. It's meter in quarantine. That's what it, it is. It is, yeah. It's when you had your sister take the, the buzzer, just put the guide on, and just go to town on your entire head. That's what it was. <laughs> Exactly. It's a, it's a brutal haircut. I've seen people say, like, this is the, the guy that, like, sits in his room, plays Call of Duty, and chugs Mountain Dew all day. Like, he's got that, like, 15-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. Like, he looks so young. He, he has, has the acne on his forehead, which that's I, what messed, too, so yeah, I can't that's blame really, him. That's what got me. I was like, oh, man. Like, that, that's now he's He looks so pale, too. Yeah. Oh, it's but a he's mess. not winning another game. I mean, you, you lost your swagger. You lost your, your cool guy swagger with that haircut. 
Yeah, and that's what he had going for him. He had the hair, the flow, the the California look, if you will, going from, you know, staying up in the Pacific Northwest from from Oregon going down to California. I mean, he had the look of it. And yeah, I think that might curse the Chargers, but this is a this is an interesting team. I mean, defensively, they're they're pretty solid. They're 12th in terms of yards. Their offense is fourth, and yet they're two and seven. Like it's insane how the Chargers are just missing these late game opportunities not turning them into wins. I mean, it's kind of like the Giants where you look at all these games, it's like they could have been this, but instead they're 2-7. and seven. But for the Chargers, obviously, they're not in the hunt for the playoffs because they don't play in the NFC East. They must be so unlucky. They might be the most unlucky team in the, in the NFL. They might. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you have that many points, I mean, or that many yards. I mean, you're a top five offense that's scoring in, in, the, in the 17s. You know, in the teens, you're not a team that's scoring a lot, but you're picking up so many yards. It's almost shocking how mediocre they've been. And if you look at their their turnover uh, ratio, it's a minus three, which is, is not great, but it's not bad. It's it's not good. It's not average, but it's not awful. But it, it, like you can't tell me that a minus three turnover ratio is the reason they're two and seven. It it can't be. It can't be those three interceptions or those three fumbles. It has to be something else. Yeah, I think it might be just the inability to score touchdowns. And that's something the Jets have had too, but they scored three out of their 10 offensive touchdowns in that game against New England where Joe Flacco, he looked decent. I mean, again, it's not the same Patriots team, but he really looked decent against the Patriots, except for that late interception, which honestly was probably the biggest grace of the season for the Jets because they lose that game. It significantly increases their chances for the number one pick. And now I wonder if Joe Flacco spoils this thing. I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be mayhem if if Joe spoil uh, Joe Flacco goes on wins some games here for the Jets. I don't think he will, but this is an interesting game. The I've seen people on on Twitter being like, "Why isn't James Morgan getting playing time over Joe Flacco?" I was like, "Well, okay, let's I relax. Let's Flacco's pump the brakes a here. Of a, a better option here. Let's pump the brakes here a little bit on that one. James Morgan, the the fourth round pick out of Florida International, of course, who was an interesting pick by the Jets. Hasn't seen the, the field yet, but uh, quickly, I will say this game opens up at eight and a half in favor of the Chargers. Matt, you you like you thought this line was a little juicy. It, it, it's screaming to be picked Jets, in my opinion. The Chargers cannot blow teams out. They don't do it. I'm not going to make the pick, but it just screams Jets to me. And I'm an anti-Chargers guy, so I would, of course, What did you do last week again? I would, of course, never pick the Chargers again after swearing them off. I think you but, might pick them this week. I think you might do I'm it. a pro Jets guy, though. You get, People forget I picked the Jets to cover last week. That is the first time I picked the Jets and they covered. So, we'll, you know, I might have to look into that. But You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Welcome back to the Watling and Owens show. As we mentioned before the break, things are getting tight now. I am now 27 and 23 after a two and three week last week, which I started off great. I am struggling. Matt now 24, 24 and two after another Browns push last week, Matt, just, just brutal. Uh, I'm sorry. I missed what you said. I'm really I just sorry. said how brutal it is that the Browns keep pushing for you. Oh, it's complete nonsense. I already yelled about it before. Um, I was too busy looking at our Twitter thread for the Wilding and Owens show. Follow us at Wilding and Owens. And someone forgot the tweet. Did I? Yes. Oh, man. I had the tweet actually lined up and ready to go, and I didn't tweet, which is... When you got to start... Like, I, I sent out the Facebook... This is inside Wilding and Owens show time. I send out the Facebook post at 1130 every morning. 
See, I, I feel like that's like, too early. Like people no, are it's not. Forget. It's a half hour. You need people to see it. But people are going to forget. They're going to be like, oh, yeah. They're not going to forget because it might take them 15 minutes to go on Twitter and see it. Like, that, yeah. that's, why, that's why I do it. Hand up. That's on me. I will take full responsibility. But, yeah, yeah, you should. But we'll, we'll dive into our picks here. Uh, do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Um, what are you feeling? Yeah, go ahead. Because I've got, I've got a juicy first pick. I, I'll figure out my lock of the week when it's all said and done. I locked in the Saints last week and they won. That's the biggest thing for me is that my lock was right. So that's all that really matters. Wasn't mine the Giants? It was the Giants, yeah. And I was right too. But I was, yeah, but I was more I was more adamant about my lock. I told you, I teased it throughout the show. I was like, I got a lock for you. Should but I lock you worth double? I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know if I'm ready for that commitment. Maybe for next year. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll consider it going on in the future. But my first pick is going to be a Thursday night line. I like the Cardinals plus three tonight against Seattle. Seattle not playing well, and I think that's maybe people expecting them to come out and, and show out. But I like Arizona's defense a little bit better, and obviously it's tough to beat a team like Seattle twice, but I think the Cardinals cover this game plus three. But is it tough to beat a team like Seattle twice? They're maybe not a bad defense, you know? <laughs> yeah. The question to me for Seattle is – can Jamal Adams get back to the level he was in New York? And if he does, is that enough for this team to be a competent defense? That, to me, is the biggest question. And I, I don't know the answer to it. Uh, looking at my picks, uh, there's not a whole lot of lines I like. But I think one line I really do like is Minnesota minus seven against the Cowboys. Minnesota's on a little hot streak. Yeah, they are. And it's not prime time. It's in Mi Minnesota. Kirk Cousins. Knows the Cowboys well from his time with the Washington football team. Don't give me Minnesota. I like that. I'm going to go with – see, I don't love this line, and I, I'm wary of it because of the way – how big it seems to be. I like Tennessee plus six and a half against the Ravens. Ravens, I, I just – I don't know if I trust them anymore. And I don't – you know, I don't love Tennessee. They, they kind of let both of us down last week uh, in that Thursday night game. But six and a half just seems a little bit too big for me right now, the way the Ravens are playing. It's crazy to think that both the Titans and Ravens, one of them is going to be six and four, the other seven and three. Like six and four for one of those two teams was not really a thought coming off of last year. Or even the beginning of this year, both teams yeah. played pretty well, and the Ravens just looked broken after that Steelers game. Oof, oof. Another juicy one talking about the Steelers. Steelers minus 10 against Jacksonville. How about that? Not scared Sources of the big line? Me, what? Not scared of the big line? No, not at all. Sources telling me that uh, Big Ben took another week off of practice. Oh, not he's actually, ready to go. He's ready to go. It's Jacksonville. I mean, Come on now. It's Jacksonville. They 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 played the Packers close last week, but I feel like that they're due for just. Uh, I mean, an Pittsburgh awful blew game. out Cincy. I think it's going to happen again. Oh, it, it will. Yeah, I like New England minus two against uh, Houston. I like that line a lot. You know, it's kind of one of those things where New England's playing well. That's you know maybe that's why they're opening as favorites. Ten or Houston, they've been bad all year. Watson's been good, but other than that, they've been bad. New England's kind of making that little run like the Vikings, where I like them to stay hot. I like them to win this game by I – th I think they win this game by at least five, so I like New England. Oh, this is a good one right here. This is oh, a good yeah. one. Give me it. Dolphins minus three and a half taking on the Broncos. I mean, I don't think Vegas has picked up or caught up to uh, – I don't think they the have. Arizona Dolphins actually being good. Yeah. Because the Dolphins are seven and two against the spread. I mean, yeah. they're making you that money, that moolah. I love that pick. I love that pick a lot. And I'm going to go to a game that – one line that's really – I'm really interested in is the Colts minus two against the Packers. I was just I looking don't, at that. I don't know which way I like more. on. Like, it's – I think I think the, the Packers are a better team, but it feels like a game the Colts are going to win. Yeah. 
it's it's too tough. I'm gonna stay away from that for now. Maybe I'll come back to it. I actually really like Kansas City minus eight. Against, oh baby, against the Raiders. Oh, is this gonna be a head-to-head matchup? Oh here? yeah, it is. Oh because yeah. I think Kansas City, and this is a really dumb reason, I think they feel a little bit disrespected by what John Gruden did driving the bus around. I think they're going to run up the score down the end. I like the way the Raiders are playing. I, I, I keep picking against the Raiders, and it keeps biting me. But I just love the Chiefs to win this game in a blowout. I think they come out and, and just showcase everything. Give me Oakland, baby. Early wow. on, they weren't fully healthy. You know, you, you see the games that they Vegas. lose. They... Have some respect. Hmm? You said they're Oakland. Oakland to me. Have some Early on, you know, you lose to the Patriots. They're not really good anymore, so you can throw that loss out. The Bills, good team. Buccaneers, good team. All the other times, I mean, most of their losses are actually blowouts, so never mind. Uh, well, the Bills one's not really a blowout. Seven points. So seven would cover. Give me, give me Oakland, baby. Give me Oakland. Yeah, eight is an interesting line. I was kind of hoping it'd be at seven, but that eight makes it really interesting. And I'm looking around for my last pick. Vegas, sorry. Yeah, I'm looking around for my last pick, and... I'm not gonna lie, the, the remaining lines are kind of ugly. The Lions Panthers game, I can't find a line on actually. Have, are you seeing anything? I think I it's because I think it's because Teddy Bridgewater is is questionable. But Washington minus one and a half against the oh, Bengals man. Is, kind of, is weird. I, I don't want to touch it. New Orleans against the the, the Falcons, I don't want to touch. I don't want to touch this game, but I'm taking but, it anyway. But no, wait, wait, wait a second. Oh, your yeah. guy, your hero, Jameis Winston, you're gonna go against him. It's five points. It's yeah, five points. But, Come on. Come on, come on. You know what? Sh- show some stones. All right. Sh- show some cubes. Give me give me New Orleans minus five against the Falcons. Yeah. I like that better than the pick I was going to make. I was going to take the Eagles against Cleveland, but I don't trust that game at all. So I'm going to take – I'll take New Orleans minus five. You know what, Matt? Thank you for giving me that pick because they're going to they're gonna blow out the Falcons and you're going to be real sad that you talked me into that. Oh, I forgot what I was going to – I was thinking – so here's the two I've got so far. I've got Green Bay plus two over Indy, which we talked about, or Cincinnati plus one and a half. I see. I really like both those. Like, I think Cincy is going to win that game because they're coming off a really bad game where the, Washington played pretty well. They lost to the, to the Lions. I think that's why maybe uh, it's a tight line, though. It's basically a pick 'em. And I do, I think I like Cincy a little bit more in that game. Yeah, I'm going like to take that. Cincy. I'm going to take Cincinnati. I love my picks this week. Wow. These are glorious picks. So these are these are some glorious picks for you. And I will, I'll, I'll run you through them and I'll, I'll ask you uh, what you're feeling. You got the. The Vikings minus seven, Pittsburgh minus ten, Miami three and a half, Vegas plus eight, Cincy plus one and a half. What are you what are you locking in this week? Give me a sec here. I gotta look at the Denver situation. So Denver lost by a lot the last couple weeks. Yes. They did beat the charge by one, but that's kind of fluky. Um give me make hmm, Miami will be my lock of the week. Yeah. I, I like really Miami. like the Steelers. I really like the Steelers. Um, I just don't know if that number is one that I like. Yeah. That's my one concern with that pick. And I'm going to lock in uh, New England minus two. I really like that pick against Houston. And it could 100% be a trap, but I think the Patriots are going to win that game. They looked good against the Ravens. Obviously, a different environment. It's not going to be raining outside. They're going to be in a dome. But I think New England gets it done. They want to move to five and five. I mean, it's crazy to look at New England and say they can make the playoffs, but it's definitely possible. I mean, the, the question is kind of goes to the rest of the, the league with that. Yeah, and the question kind of is, do you see teams like Oakland falling out? You know, my, Miami, the Ravens falling out. I just there's too many teams that are good in in the in the East or, or the AFC, or maybe there's not enough good teams in the yeah. in the AFC where you've got what is that? That's like five teams, six teams at six and three. Yeah, and the team I don't trust right now is the Browns. Like they've played no. their last two games, they played in like rain, hail, 
thunderstorms and they win like nine to six. Like I don't know you what you can't the win Browns those games are. like that. You yeah, got you got to blow teams out. I don't know what the Browns are right now, and they look good early, but yeah. So I'm locking in the Patriots. Matt's locking in the Dolphins, which I like. I like I like both our locks this week. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Welcome back to the Watling and Owens show. And before we get into the, the next draft, Matt, I have, to, I have to bring this up. We have a, I got to say this, big weekend ahead for us. We have the a secret Santa gift exchange going down. And I got to tell you, I'm a little bit nervous about it. I'm nervous about the, the gift I'll be receiving. I'm not sure what route someone's going to go with me because I didn't participate last year. But, you know, a secret Santa is always a, a little bit of a crapshoot. You know, you're rolling the dice. You're seeing kind of what happens. So I'm a little bit nervous about what to expect this weekend. And there's only a couple people who's – I think I only know who you have and I know who Mike has. That's that's it. That's it. Wow. So there's six of us it's in a, it. That's a real surprise. It's a surprise. And I'm concerned about what I'm getting because I have a, th- I have a clue or an idea of who I think has me. And the reaction to when we all pulled the names, you weren't there for it. Yeah, right. I so was, I'm, I'm completely blind. I was mortified. Oh, wow. I was mortified. So we'll I see. S- see, and I think I know who has you just based off of that. So it's going to be an interesting run of it this week. But I got to say, and, and before, I just have a quick complaint, and I understand what's going on right now in the world. Packages are taking very long to ship right now. And I get it. I get it 100%. But I ordered something three weeks ago. hasn't even shipped yet. Like, that's well, an embarrassment. Did it give you an estimated shipping situation? No. When I ordered it, it didn't. But I guess that's why I give the benefit of the doubt. It wasn't Amazon, so, you know, no Prime or anything like that. But And also, it's the, been the company that you ordered season. off of is a legit company. I'm not even sure what the brand is. But those are those kind of companies that are going to take a while to deliver. Yeah. So maybe that's on me. But we picked our secret Santa names kind of late. I'll say that. And also, like, none of it has money. So. Yeah, we're all we're all broke. We're all broke here, but hopefully the the job situation will open up over the winter as we as we move to the next in the NBA draft. It was you know it was a pretty interesting NBA draft. Really outside the top five players, it kind of got to like who like I didn't even know half the guys being announced, and I watched a lot of college basketball. So a lot of guys just a lot of teams just taking flyers on guys. Maybe they'll pan out, but the Knicks get. Obi Toppin at number eight overall. He was last year's National Player of the Year out of Dayton. And to me, I thought this was a great pick because I thought he was the best player on the board, best player available. Maybe some people didn't think that, but I don't think this is a draft where we're going to look back and say, why didn't the Knicks draft someone else? Why didn't they get this guy? You know, this isn't a Donovan Mitchell situation where, to me, they made the right pick now. So if you look back, hindsight's twenty twenty, but in the moment right now, I really like this pick for the Knicks. Yeah, I, I like some of the guards out there. I like the guy from uh, Israel. He was just a, an interesting player to go after, but also you're biased. I am. Yes, I am. As as as, uh, as a man someone of the tweeted, quote, a member of the tribe. <laughs> that was one of my favorite tweets I saw. One of the guys. That's was, hilarious. Uh, one of my one of the guys I interned with over the summer was is a big uh, Wizards guy from from Washington, and was very happy with the pick. I was like, look, we got to get him to New York. Got to get him a nice bagel and a schmear, some locks <laughs> on it, but. Uh, all jokes aside, you don't really know with the with the overseas guys, and I think yeah. that maybe Frank gives you a hesitation. Other pieces like that, which is I think why RJ Hampton dropped so far, which was really disappointing. You don't feel bad for the guy. He's a guy that was supposed to be so good, so exciting. I mean, he went on get get up as a high schooler to name his commitment, and he probably couldn't buy time on ESPN 
in, in the current stage of his career. But looking back at Toppin, I like it. I like the idea. I like the energy, the enthusiasm he brings. Obviously, I didn't watch Dayton basketball. You know, I know you're, you're really messed a, out. a college basketball guy than I am. <laughs> but the, the, the things that I see from him, I really like. And a lot of people were saying, look, he's 22 years old. That's a bad thing. I mean, I just I think that's ridiculous. No, I, I agree. I 100% I think agree. I think it's so dumb. I mean, you wrote it down, so I don't know why you're agreeing with me. But what do you mean? No, I'm you saying... You said downsides, Colin, not a good defender, is 22 years old. Yes, because that is what people are saying as his downsides. I'm not saying okay, I, I personally saying. see that as a downside. I see the defense as a downside, but the age thing, right. it's like 22 is the, the normal age that people come out of college. You know, 21, right. 22. It's weird because you see all these guys that are 18 getting drafted, but to me, what I like about Toppin is he's very polished coming out, and he's a guy that... Nose to the grind. You're gonna love him, Matt. He's a New Yorker. He's from New York. He's born in Brooklyn. He went to co- he went to high school just outside of New York City. Westchester. And yeah, let me read this quote for you, Matt. I'm from New York. That's why it's important. Me repping my city. It's amazing. A lot of people love to be in this position. You love him. Oh yeah. You're oh, eating yeah. that up. Oh, chills, chills, Luke. Oh, but so, in all seriousness, this is a guy that could change your culture. Not yeah. in terms of the talent, but in the terms of the style of player he is and the the person he is. I mean, he didn't get a single Division One, Division Two scholarship. He walked on to Dayton and made a name for himself. You know, he's a guy that didn't go to go didn't go from high school straight to college. He went to a prep school for a year. This is a gritty guy that was crying when he was drafted because he never would have thought that he would be an NBA draft pick, let alone a lottery pick. That's the kind of guy that you want on your team because of how gritty he is. When he talks about some of his downsides or his his struggles or what he's lacking in, he says that one of the biggest things I need to work on is defense. Having Tom Thibodeau as a head coach, he's going to make sure I lock in and become great one day. The fact that he wants to be great and is willing to learn defense, that's a scrappy dude. Yeah, and this I love... a team that needs to be a scrappy team and a fun team that could help you look like the Nets from years past, which then helps you get free agents. Yeah, and I love this for, as you mentioned, the culture of the Knicks right now is... They're getting these young guys. They're trying to build something. They're trying to build around R.J. Barrett. And that's why I think he's such a nice compliment because he's a forward. He's 6'9", but he can shoot a little bit. He's a freak athlete. He will dunk the ball on anyone. And he's a guy that wants to learn. Like you said, he knows he's not a complete finished product, but I think he's one of the more finished products to come into this draft because he played at the high level in college, which doesn't always translate to the NBA. Obviously, we've seen a lot of guys that are great in college not translate, but he kind of has the frame to translate. And this is a Knicks team that is so young that's going to be fun to watch. Like, it's not going to be as, you know, gross as it was in the past. And I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team this year, but they are. They're only a few pieces away. I mean, when I look at the starting lineup, they're going to have Alfred Payton or Frank Nielakina, whoever they pick there, RJ Barrett, Obi Toppin, Julius Randle, Mitch Robinson. That's a really young, fun starting lineup, and I wonder if they move Julius Randle at some point. It's the last year of his contract. He's probably desirable for a a contender to be kind of a a third or fourth wheel, but I think this puts the Knicks in a great step forward, and and my my hat goes off to Leon Rose today because I think he did a great job in this draft. And also with the excess of forwards, you just don't need need a guy like Obi Toppin to come out right away and be a superstar. You, you just don't need that. And that's what I think is so beneficial to this team that has a lot, I don't say a lot of issues, but when you have the amount of forwards you have and the, and the depth chart that you have with guys like, you know, more, you know, some nice pieces. Bobby Portis. You know, Wayne Ellington's fine. Like, you've got Maurice Harkles if he re-signs Julius Randle. I mean, there's pieces that you can move to 
appease Toppin if he deserves more minutes. But if he doesn't, you can play Julius Randle as a starter and not be good, but be competent at least. And and one thing I, I'd ask you is, you know, Tyrese Halliburton was still on the, was still on the uh, board, a point guard, uh, you know, a sort of recent phenomenon. Did a good job at Iowa State for a couple seasons, and you don't get him. Some some fans were upset about that. You want a point guard of the future, but also you kind of need to know that you can't reach on a point guard. You can't reach on a guy because it'll be another Frank Nielakina. You need to kind of address your team and say, look, we need everything. The only thing that we have cemented right now is a shooting guard and a center in Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett. So if we find a guy like Toppin that's going to be what we think is the best player on the board, we have to go out there and take him. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing here is like, okay, maybe Hal Burton fills that need for you, but we haven't seen a lot from him in college. He kind of battled injuries his his last year with Iowa State, and I think he's going to have a good future in the NBA, but he's not – you know, going to give you a ton of scoring. He's going to be a good, solid point guard, but I like the way they went with Obi Toppin because I think he can be a good scorer right from year one. Like, I think Obi Toppin might be one of the favorites to win Rookie of the Year just because he's going to have a lot of chances. He's going to be a guy that plays in, in New York, obviously, which gives him a little bit of, of an edge up. And I like, you know, they go out and get a point guard with their second pick, which a little bit of a reach when you talk about reaches. I mean, it was definitely a reach to go out and get Emmanuel quickly, but... He's a guy that he's the SEC player of the year. He's a guy that has a nice shot. I like his ability as a scorer potentially down the future. And he's going to be a project. He's not going to be Obi Toppin coming on day one and be ready to be an NBA scorer. But they do get a point guard. And there's a lot of people saying, well, there were these guys available. They could have stayed back. They could have gotten other point guards. But if this was the guy that the Knicks circled and he's got a great relationship with the Knicks because he played under Kenny Payne at Kentucky, who's now an assistant with the Knicks, then I like that the Knicks are, are kind of sticking their neck out to make that pick. I like that they're going out and saying, this is our guy and this is who we wanted. Luke, to wrap up the show, you know, to start the show, I gave you a biology lesson. Yeah. Now I'll give you a little economics lesson. How about that? Oh, give it to so me. So if he's your guy, go for it. But there's also something called opportunity cost. I think you know what it is, Luke. You're a smart guy. Heard of it, yeah. And it's the cost is when you take one alternative, the next highest alternative that you could have gotten, that's your opportunity cost. Emmanuel quickly might be a very good player. But if you could have gotten another very good player at 25 and quickly at 35 or whatever, or 33, your next pick, then you you lost. You know, he might be a very good, very good player. But if you could have, sure, and by all signs, he would have been there at 33 since he was a 40th range prospect. 46, I think, was the number. Then I'm not saying it's a loss, but I'm saying you could have done more. But also, if you're sold on this guy and you know he's going to be a piece for your team moving forward, maybe not a starting point guard in his career, but a backup point guard and a quality NBA player, then you make the move. But there's a little opportunity cost question mark there that can never really be addressed, but it's just something to throw out there.